1: chains cryptocurrency 3 guys made it talking bitcoin no fee that's the free bitcoin podcast insane and adoption is still the only thing
2: thing thing matters hey guys welcome to the bitcoin podcasts I'm host number 2 D, and the other ghosts that didn't show up, Corey and Cello are preoccupied, so we have guest hosts today, Uh, Cello's taking care of his his younglings, his offspring, that's what I like to call them, and then Corey is in Brussels, doing Brussels things, so we have two guest hosts, the the CEO of MyCrypto, Taylor, hello Taylor. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another guest hosting session of the Bitcoin podcast.
0: I am excited.
2: We didn't wake you up at seven o'clock in the morning this time. So,
0: you didn't, but <laughs> <laughs> I still somehow haven't showered yet. So, morning. No
2: <laughs> All good. That's what Saturday <laughs> the is for. Just lackadaisical. And then, of course, back for, I don't know, how many times is this, Ray, you've been on the show fourth or fifth time I think fourth or fifth time Ray redacted himself uh security um wh- what if i what do you call yourself security super professional security oh uh, what maestro?
3: however you want to market it I work in uh in infosec and a little bit at the uh, convergence between cryptography and traditional enterprise in infosec
2: all right security maestro <laughs> We'll call you. So, yeah. Um. So what did we want to talk about today? I know I want to save a little bit of like a five-minute Ronnie recap. That's what we'll call it. And then maybe if I could make some – the Ronnie recap cap. Make some, like, noise at the end of the show.
3: <laughs> well, and I'm more than willing
2: to, to spend some
3: time on the Ronnie recap. But I will tell you, and I haven't gotten a chance to listen to just the headers yet. But I will tell you, I think that the story that got the most buzz in the Slack this week – because it spun off into a ton of other fascinating conversations was about the Canadian crypto exchange where the CEO died okay, And, and, and they lost their assets because in their threat model, they didn't figure out that death comes to us all. So on the Slack, we've had some fascinating discussions, not only about estate planning and how to, Uh, give your crypto to your relatives when you're dead, right? But also about um, private key and multi-sig storage and about understanding the scenarios by which uh, you might lose uh, your assets. So there's a lot there to kind of unwrap. Are you guys familiar with the Canadian story? Yeah. Yeah. Does it sound a little fishy at all? Does it sound fishy at all?
0: It does. So... I have often been in the position in my lifetime where I am the sole owner of some key piece of information. So not in the crypto world, but in like my freelance world, you know, we tell the clients like you have to back things up. It's your responsibility to have these things. It's your responsibility to have the logins, etc. We send them a whole package. They don't ever. And I get still to this day emails from clients being like, hey, what? where is my website hosted or what is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I've done for years and years now is I have this folder that's literally called an If I Die folder. And it's <laughs> a hot mess. Like if I actually die, whoever's taking care of this shit is in big trouble. But they will be able to figure it out. And it's broken down by like – the different sorts of things. So it has, you know, all the key information for different clients and how to contact those clients. It has crypto stuff. Uh, it has like just random, you know, information, like, you know, one of our cars is a lease and like, hey, this is where the lease is from and this is where the files regarding the lease are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the information in there, especially regarding crypto is, you know, it's assuming that like, Uh, you know, my parents are handling this, and they don't want to handle it. So it's literally just contacts of people that I trust with my life who would help get my parents sorted, you know, and it's all the information. But the first page is just like, here's people who know crypto really, really well. And all the following pages, um, you know, they'll know what to do with you don't have a clue what to do with it, but they'll know what to do. So fly them in and figure this shit out.
3: this is insanely personal and you can tell me to shut up if it's inappropriate, but uh, do you have continuity plans for your company in the event that you have your demise?
0: So with a company now we have, um, we don't ever have like one failure point. So for example, like our infrastructure, it's not like me and only me has access to it. um, you know, we have a real company and there's board members and, and that kind of stuff as well. The There is information about some of the, like, core stuff, um, you know, and obviously, like, some of the cold wallets and things like that. But for the most part, multiple people have access to every point at this, at this point, which is, um, you know, way better than it used to be.
2: <laughs> That's a good point, though, like this – Succession, plan, su- succession planning for crypto is mm-hmm. tough because, it, you know, you can leave your private keys to someone, but what the hell are they going to do with it? Like if I left my the even the if I left even the instructions to like my mother and the untimely demise, like if I'm I don't know if I get hit by a Coca-Cola truck or something, they seem to be <laughs> moving around all the time and it's over. If I leave her instructions, it's still going to be tough. And knowing my mom, she's going to put a lowercase J where a capital J is supposed to be. And it's over. Game over. So it's just such a... well, And that's the problem, D, is in,
3: in order to really cover disaster recovery type scenarios where you go through tabletop exercises and say, okay, what do we do if a tornado happens? You have to not only come up with the policies... But you also have to practice them. So most people don't even want to talk about their own death, much less sit down with their mom and say, hey, mom, this is a key that is uh, tied to a dead man's switch. Right. So if I don't check in on Twitter for 45 days, you will automatically get this email and we need to practice what you do with this. Now, this is a Ledger Nano S. okay? And this is the this is the way you get into that. And this is the pen. You, you know, you'll get the pen on that dead man switch email, which is, by the way, that that's a real thing. Just FYI, if you guys didn't know that or whatever. I didn't know that. I thought m- you- most people don't want to practice that at all.
2: That is impossible. The
3: shit. bigger concern about the the, uh, the Canadian crypto asset company, um, by the way, I'll tell you, if you go to enough cryptocurrency conferences, you'll always hear someone in the hotel bar tell you, oh, my buddy lost a hard drive with 200 bitcoins on it. Or, oh, my cousin's sister Uh, Her husband died and we couldn't get into his assets, but there've been a couple pretty high profile cases where several million or even billion dollars worth of Bitcoin was supposedly wrapped up and unrecoverable, you know, in the estate. So, uh, but in this Canadian example, it wasn't just his money that was in play, right? It was also their customers. And, you know, as we all know with the paradox of custodial exchange, you have to really, really, really trust those people and you have to trust them not only to be competent and non-criminal, but you also have to trust them to think about things like how do we handle our cold storage or what happens if somebody gets hit by a bus. Hmm.
0: Right. And that's what you know, there's like, um, this sort of forever balance when it comes to security, because you don't want to give everyone access because the more people that have access, um, the more sort of points of entry there are. So you want to limit the access to that cold storage, but you can't ever have that access be only one person because if that one person disappears, then the world ends. And especially when it comes to, you know, custody of users' funds, those aren't your funds. Like at crypto, we don't deal with that. You know, if, if I were to die and for some reason people weren't able to figure out the stuff that they needed to figure out um the team would be the, the most affected not you know uh users and they would be affected because i don't even think they would be affected actually mm. i mean they'd they be affected would. because i wasn't like running the company and you know what's the fate of my crypto but you know like payroll would still be run <laughs>
3: Well, that's, that's certainly important, right? <laughs>
0: like, you know, and it's, and, and we wouldn't be like, Hey, you know how, how, how you, you thought you had all this money. uh, And it says that you have this money, but like, actually you don't like that. We wouldn't be in that situation. And so it's just, it blows my mind that. You know, I understand wanting to limit the access to these cold wallets. Like if you know the only existence of this cold wallet is on a piece of paper in a safe in X location and you can secure that, then you are that's a pretty good place to be in. Uh, but obviously if you die, then that's a very, very, very bad place to be in.
3: I feel like we're starting off this conversation on such a positive note yeah. that uh, where are the unicorns
2: and rainbows going to be next? But- um- I don't I just w I don't think we ever told did we tell the audience what exactly happened with the exchange? Like the, the owner <laughs> I died. kinda did. I kinda I kinda gave the TLDR version, yeah, but if you've got the, more specifics to context it. clues, guys, the owner of the exchange was Quadriga, right? Quadriga CX mm-hmm. or something. He he died and he had the private keys to all the things. So now they owe millions of dollars to their customers and it's it's gone. They can't get it now. If it smells like fish, it's probably fish, but um, I don't know. It's just gone. So Well, here's what's
3: kind of interesting, and this came up in the Slack this week as well. In the personal finances, forget about the corporation for a second, but in the personal finances, there actually are some answers to this. I mentioned – the, the dead man switch email service that will automatically send a, a note to two loved ones uh, in the yeah. event that you don't check in on, on one of three social media sites or whatever. Of course it's a free service and you have to trust them, right? <laughs> That's the only problem with that, right? Just yeah. think about that message. Um, another one is, is when we talk about our wills uh, you know, will and estate planning, right? The power of attorney or the executor of the will will can easily have 12 or 13 words, of your 24, 25 word, you know, bit 39 phrase. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can give the other 12 words to a loved one. All right. And we're talking about, I mean, Dr. Petty is going to freak out when he hears me say, we're going to reduce the complexity of that from <laughs> to 24 words to 12, but even 12 is still to the power of 132. Right. I mean, it's, it's not, it's not uh, insignificant. Um, but there are ways to do it. The problem is, and this goes, this applies whether we're talking about Trezor or Nano Ledger. Again, it, it's kind of worthless unless you actually either make it so easy for that person to do, or you actually practice once a year or once every three years whenever you have the un, you know, the, the discussion with them. Yeah.
0: Right, and that's why, like, literally, mine just says, "Call these people," and these people are people that are also ethereum people that i trust and it says call these people trust these people don't trust anyone else mm. um because then you can eliminate that um like the the mental overhead and possibly screwing something up and et cetera. Et cetera. and you know i trust these people um will be helpful because they're good people um you know, and I'm I'm also like I don't have an established will or anything like in terms of like where that money should go. And that would be I think the they could access it all. But then, you know, yeah. I'm going to start a little war within within the fam. Well,
2: that's where you get <laughs> your chuckle what from, from the great beyond, right, is watching them t- like hus- hustle fuss over it. You're like, Yeah, I just said that's access to it. I didn't say I split it up. Yeah. So the joke
3: for men, and I, I'm not saying this applies to you, Taylor, but the joke for men is is that you're, you can always tell your best friend in the world if it's the guy you would trust to log into your computer and delete that folder that's labeled old pictures or whatever, right? <laughs> clear out your cookies and clear your history. The problem is is we don't want to give our passwords to anyone, right? right. For good reason, right? We're, we're conditioned to believe private keys are the assets. And so, you know, do you want people accessing your entire digital you know, files and everything else is it going to be wide open after, you're, in the event that you're gone. Okay, well, what if you're in a coma? At what point do they get to rip into that and start poking around? Right. So, just a few real morbid,
2: pleasant things to think about uh, to right. kick off the podcast. I hid that folder and I put a password on it that I forgot. So it doesn't <laughs> So even all your porn
0: anymore. is is locked up, just like quad <laughs> funds. The
2: the porn, the the every everything is just. Yes, the porn, Taylor. We didn't have to say it, but you said it, so. So the
3: other thing that <laughs> came up in the process of that was most people in the Slack were not aware that you can have cloned Nano Ledgers. So you can have two of them identical to each other. Like you can keep one off site so that you don't have to panic and go buy one if you if you lose one, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple of people weren't even aware that Ledger has some advanced features uh, that I call a shadow wallet, which is a second pin with a decoy wallet on it that you can put like maybe half a Bitcoin or something on uh, in case you're ever being robbed at gunpoint and you want to give them a wallet, but you're not going to give them your master one or whatever.
2: That's called a duress pin that is designed to, uh, to, to, to be a security feature. Oh, really? I didn't, I didn't know they had that feature. That's, that's probably a great feature to have.
0: Yeah. Okay. Trezor has that feature as well. And they have, um, an article a really great article on like how to use the feature but why to use the feature uh if you google "treasure wrench attack it'll probably be
2: i'm supposing someone call. got beat with a wrench until they gave them their pin correct
0: <laughs> yeah it's a it's a xkcd thing uh mm. it's like a you know it basically says like We're going to do this super secure, crazy mechanism, and we're going to split the keys in this cryptographic way and bury them in 18 different locations and blah, 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 blah. But what would more likely happen is just, like, the dude walks into your house with a wrench um, and beats you until you give them all the information. Formation. We'll
3: put the comic. The comic. It's a comic, right? XKCD yeah. is a comic, right? Yeah, it's a comic. We'll put the comic in the show notes because it is pretty funny. But the wrench attack refers to the fact that it doesn't matter how good your digital protections are if somebody is about to hit you in the head with a wrench, right? <laughs> you'll, you'll give up the passwords.
2: Treasure should like bite on that. Those State Farm commercials that do the weird, like, you know what I mean, where he says like, "This is the bowling ball through the roof incident," and then they like does a flashback to the bowling ball falling through the roof. And then that's what Treasure should do. It's like, here's the wrench incident. No, I'm kidding. It would be a pretty morbid flashback. Sorry. But, anyways, <laughs> let's switch it up a little bit. Let's switch it. So, I I mean, uh, clearly we've been in this bear market for a while. I think we hit the record, right? I think somebody posted in Slack. I feel like this is a long commercial for the Slack, which I personally love giving away. I know.
0: I I'm like but- ashamed that I'm not even in the freaking Slack. How do I get in the Slack?
2: You go to our website and then click the button that says Slack. And then. And how much does the Slack cost, D? It it costs $0.00, <laughs> $0. <laughs> $0 or Bitcoin or Ether or Tron for you weirdos out there to join the Slack. And it's just a. It's like a chill. It's like. Uh, was that show in like the late 80s? Or was it the whole like. You want to go where everybody knows? Cheers. cheers! It's like the online cheers of the crypto community. You just come in there. Chill, talk about crypto. Most times we're kind of not talking about crypto, but that's okay. When we do, it's good. But anyways, um, I don't even know where I was going. Um, Yeah, we're in this long bear market, right? It was the longest bear market in Bitcoin's existence, so therefore crypto's existence, I guess. Wait, really? Yeah, it happened, what was it, three days ago? It was the longest bear market, the longest correction in the history of Bitcoin.
0: How long was the last bear market? I feel like the last bear market was way longer. Let me see here.
2: 411 days of a bear market. Long since Bitcoin was born. So, so
0: 2014.
2: And then somebody I- immediately put in all caps, sell the house, sell the kids, yeah. back up the truck, buy all the Bitcoin." <laughs> <laughs> so somebody's got the right mindset about bear markets I guess um, but I mean obviously ad- adoption is winning. so like what is going to spur adoption again I don't know I really don't know it's like a mystery everybody's trying to figure out but I was wondering if non-fungible tokens would do it I mean they kind of they tap into my inner Tamagotchi trainer like I, I thought like CryptoKitties was cool I didn't really buy one or breed them but it was neat And I guess what do you you guys think that non fungible tokens can like reignite any kind of you know unforeseen adoption? Hang on, D. Hang on.
3: You're gonna have to explain what non fungible tokens are because uh, there might be some folks listening that aren't familiar with it.
2: Uh, In my layman's take on a non fungible token, it's one token has more value than the other token.
3: Sure. So the values are not interchangeable. Okay. And then the Ethereum world, it's based on 721, ERC 721 rather than ERC 20. Right. And the idea being that if you think in terms of something that is unique, where like uh, grains of rice, for example, one grain of rice is exactly the same as the next grain of rice. Right. Um, But diamonds are different. Even diamonds of the exact same size, for example, uh, are unique. Right. That's the
2: non fungibility. Boom, not fungible. So, to uh, a real world example, like uh, a Mark McGuire baseball card is probably more valuable than like the third stringer of St. Louis Cardinals Club from 1987 or something, right? Because Mark McGuire broke records, right? But they're both baseball cards. So, like an Ethereum token that's ERC721 is an Ethereum token, however... This one token could be more valuable than the other. And then so I was thinking like Tamagotchis or I just threw that out there. You could have like digital collectibles. They're digitally unique. You know, I I think it's kind of it touches on the vein of like I know about those weird underground markets where you can trade and buy and sell like video game characters and video game skins. And that's a booming market. And so I don't know. Have, do you guys have any non-fungible tokens?
0: Yeah. So Crypto Kitties is yeah. a non-fungible token. Yeah. Uh, and I have Crypto Kitties. I have is a it, lot of them.
2: Are they cool? Like, <laughs> what do you do with them besides like make different colored Crypto Kitties?
0: Uh, you breed them.
2: But isn't that just making different colored Crypto Kitties?
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I haven't bred, I haven't even visited the site in forever. I just experimented with it, but that's probably the biggest example of, you know, how these things could be used because, you know, the very, very first crypto kitties are more valuable than, uh, more recent ones. And then they have like special edition ones, um, that are, I don't know, like a unicorn or I think they just mm-hmm. teamed up with like gods unchained, right? Do you know?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of massive multiplayer online games that are either experimenting or are using things to like, you know, like a unique sword in the game, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that it could be traded around and, and actually be, be be tracked across the board. But so far, the killer apps have been gimmicks, right? Crypto mm-hmm. Kitties is probably the biggest one because it it got lit on fire for a few weeks there, maybe even a few months, right? It was going through the roof for a while. Um... But it hasn't really found massive business use cases, right? If, if, if the Beers was using it to track diamonds, right, that would be a killer use case. But the Beers is evil and ugly, and they don't need to do anything to continue to be evil and ugly. So they haven't—they're they haven't, not even playing around with it. Mm-hmm. But I do want to say something else, So The fact that it's not ERC twenty um, in the internet world, we've always used something called. TCP IP, and it's IPv4. It's actually a version four of IP, okay? Mm. We have another version that's about 12 years old called IPv6 that is a massive, massive, massive increase in the amount of address space, right? Going to 128 bits, enough to easily number every grain of sand in the entire universe, you know, thousands of times over or whatever. But almost no one uses v6, except in India and Australia, right? It just hasn't been adopted. And because ERC-20 is good enough, I think that there's a lot of people that haven't really moved to 721 because they haven't really had a, a compelling reason to do so.
2: You know what I mean? Yeah. So just because it's there, people don't come. It's like the opposite of that movie with – was it Kevin Costner? Was it Kevin Costner? Field of Dreams. If you build it, they will come.
3: <laughs> yeah, correct. I mean, you can have the greatest technology in the world, but if
2: you don't have use cases to drive people to it, it will sit there unused. mm. I think it be I think they're just missing the boat with that because as someone who plays a lot of games uh, I don't play a lot of RPGs I play a lot of first person shooters you can find me on PlayStation you don't want those problems though But anyways like I've played RPGs before you like go on these long journeys and I've played them with my friends before you go on the long journeys together with your friends it's like every night you get to act like it's Lord of the Rings it's fun right like I'll I'll battle the orcs on the left take the orcs on the right but what they could do I think to leverage blockchain at least is is to use Merkle trees to say like okay here's a sword let's slap a non-fungible token with it and then every single event that this sword conquers and the character that it's with and how awesomely they do gets tracked with this sword and then when you pick up this sword instead of it just being the color purple that you know it's a great sword it's now the sword of a thousand slayed orcs and this guy who has gone on 17,000 raids slayed 5,000 orcs with it and you know how much value and how cool that sword is but they just don't do that and I don't know that's a that's a nugget of free uh free free business idea for these super savvy programs out there if you can make that possible I don't know
3: but I do want to say something about the bear market thing that you opened it with, because um, last year, or maybe it was the year before, in the height of like eighteen, seventeen thousand 000-
2: dollars. I think your mic just went out, like out of the blue.
3: Oh boy, that was weird. Did I, what did it's it, back? It's back Can you hear me? Okay, we're back. we're back. Yeah. So I do want to say something about the bear market, and that is in the height of the Bitcoin mania when it was like seventeen grand. I went up to Chicago and saw. And it's going to sound like I'm name dropping him just because I don't know how to say the last name, Andreas Antonopoulos, uh, talk, speak, which mm-hmm. if you ever get a chance to meet him or see him speak live, it's just awesome, right? But what he was saying at that time was that in in, uh, in bull markets, when everybody's going completely insane, you're so busy trying to support your grandmother and your friends and your cousins and everybody else that you have no time to learn, build or secure, Right. But when the market goes down the tubes, and it will, he was promising us it will, it will for eighteen months, it will for two years, it may it will for two months, whatever. That's when you want to learn, build, and secure, right? So you want you want to learn new things, mm-hmm. you want to build new things, and you want to you want to secure things. And you know his biggest point was was you should be learning, building, and securing all the time. Don't wait for the uh, for the bear market to, to, to learn, build, and secure because you know you owe it to yourself to to get better about a lot of these things. So you know the one the bummer about what's going on now you know in the marketplace is you know people are a little bit less interested in this but you can actually take advantage of that
2: by by building and developing now hmm. that's a bit of advice from ray and a bit of a maybe business idea from me about non fungible tokens i don't know and of course we're going to see you taylor on a vice news documentary soon about how you've made it Made us a, a crazy comfortable living off of breeding crypto kitties.
0: I wish. <laughs> do I even ask, how do
3: you breed them? Like, what what do you actually do to, to, to breed them? Do, do, you, and, do you have to watch? Do you have to
2: watch? Do 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 I don't Sorry. Go ahead, Taylor. You take this one.
0: No, it's pretty simple. There's just like, uh, you know, like similar to your Tamagotchi, you had like, you know, actions, but it was like feed and like clean up their poop and that was Mm -hmm. it. It's very similar. Um, And you can like set, you can, it's like a whole thing, but basically there's a couple different actions that you can take. Um, You can like say like my crypto kitty, you can breed with my crypto kitty for like X amount of money. Um, You can then breed with other crypto kitties Uh, and then a new, like time will pass and then a new crypto kitty pops out um it's that
2: seems like it would have just like taken off middle schoolers all over the world i mean it
0: it, i mean it really destroyed the the usability of the ethereum network for like a whole i don't know month or so
1: um
0: it was very i don't know it's it's novel right it's a novelty it's not um, life-changing, but it's it's pretty cool. And I think it was a really good example of um, making something that was actually usable. Like, hypothetically, someone with very little crypto experience could uh, play with their CryptoKitties, um, hypothetically. I don't know how many people actually did, but it was very, very easy.
2: That actually, like, that just taps into, like, my inner Tamagotchi. My Tamagotchi sucked. I'll be the first to admit. But my my Digimon was pretty baller. So, I don't know. Anyways, showing my age. There is something else I wanted to discuss. Just change the topic real quick. And that is wrapped Bitcoin. Now, I read a headline about it, like, three months ago. And I was like, oh, cute. Bitcoin on the Ethereum blockchain. It's kinda of like how everyone thought sidechains would be for Bitcoin, the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, Ray, I know you said that you are kinda up on this wrapped Bitcoin, but what so first of all, I would like to know, like, why would anyone want to use wrapped Bitcoin? What's a for it seems like a trading tool. I don't know. That's just me looking at the headlines. For sure. And and the criticisms of
3: WBTC, which is kinda of how that's abbreviated on Reddit or 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 Slack or whatever, right, is that you're giving up privacy, not just one layer, but two, right? And it's moving more towards the the pattern of centralization, which would be antithetical to our normal uh, attraction to blockchain, period, right? We're we're going the wrong way. We're going south instead of north on on both privacy uh, as well as as on centralization because it's really tied to a lot of these... Um, uh, either centralized exchanges or even dexes that still require KYC, which don't even get me started on that. But um, there, there's there's there, there's you're giving up privacy. So what is it for? Well, the only thing that's really compelling to me is the idea that you could uh, use this as a way to not have to convert back and forth. Right? We all remember going from BTC to ETH to BTC to ETH, and there's always kind of a, a pucker factor first of all, and then there's always kind of a of a, uh, <laughs> of, of a delay and then it usually costs you something to do, right? A pucker
2: factor. Please go on. I don't think I'm familiar with it.
3: So pucker factor is the highly technical term that applies to the first time you ever send a BTC from a centralized exchange to your own wallet. And what yes. happens is <laughs> is you go through all the instructions, you put it in and then you stare at your screen all puckered up until you see the confirmations start to, to go up, <laughs> right? And the complexity of a coin and the speed of transfer is directly proportional to the PF. So Bitcoin has a very high PF, right? Uh, and non Lightning, non Segwit, right? Bitcoin has a very high PF. Some of those uh, down market uh, altcoins like Ripple and Stellar have a zero plucker Factor because it's instantaneous and it's right there instant gratification, right? So the only thing I can think about the wrap Bitcoin that would compel me would be interesting to me is you know despite having done as much trading as i've ever done i still don't like that conversion from one asset to another it always feels like i'm going to screw something up right and mm-hmm. you know it's 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 bound to happen someday and it's never happened yet so so i feel like you know i'm living on borrowed time around that
2: have you ever lost assets via that way um i haven't lost assets sending it into oblivion that hasn't happened before luckily i've lost assets uh w- the first time i tried to um do margin trading with litecoin on OKCoin back when u.s citizens could use OKCoin. um I, maybe you still can i think no i'm pretty sure i'm right about that like u.s citizens can't use it anymore i lost like 36 litecoin in like a minute i was so sad um was, and so do you have
3: pucker factor when you're when you're when you're trading when you're moving things around at all
2: not anymore. I I did big time. Um, the biggest pucker I had was Liqui, which surprise, surprise, is Dunskey's, because I was <laughs> using Liqui with those um obs- more obscure tokens uh, back in like 2016, 2017. and it just like every time you click the button, it froze. And there was no thinking will. There was no nothing. The numbers just disappeared, and there was no, there were no red words. There were no green words. It was just like the, it's gone. And I was like, oh, okay, wow. So, well, weren't there a few months where you could money.
3: accidentally send Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash's blockchain, and it would just be gone forever? Didn't that happen for a look? Am I remembering that wrong?
2: That is true. That still can happen, right? At least I know. Um, whenever I'm on repping people using Coinbase and they see the big error message and it says, uh, you know, don't send Bitcoin to your Bitcoin cash. uh, Yeah. Don't send Bitcoin cash to your Bitcoin address. I'm I'm pretty sure like that still applies.
3: And then for Taylor, you get all kinds of panicky phone calls from (laughs) new people and maybe not so new people that are, are, uh, I won't say freaking out. I will say... Showing grave concern about the loss of, but the potential loss of assets, right?
0: Oh, yeah. And it, so you have brand new people who, you know, have no idea what they're doing and are definitely like just anxiety ridden. But also, like people who have been around a really, really long time, if they're, say, moving a large amount of, um, assets, like from one cold storage to another, um, they, definitely like the pucker factors through the roof. And I would say even more so than some new people because they know how badly this could go. And um, that. I literally I was at a conference last week, and we were having this discussion about you know when you're updating your ledger seed to to make sure that cold storage is super super cold um or if you need to like move some funds for tax purposes and then you create a new cold wallet to move everything to um yeah that that pucker factor is so so mm-hmm. so real
3: it's rude. and and for adoption, that is probably one of the biggest speed bumps that we're going to have to either go over or go around because there's not an iPod of bitcoin yet, right? There's not a really really easy way to do that. You're you're it's still quite a bit of work and risk for uh the average consumer.
2: Yeah. That's that's where it comes to um it, it it really gets down to if we treat this like money, then at a certain point you throw your hands up and say, Hey, like, would you leave your wallet on the bar and there was cash in it? The cash is gone if somebody finds the wallet. There's no you can't go to the bank and say, Hey, I left my wallet on the bar, it had a hundred bucks in it, someone stole the hundred bucks, can I get that back bank? They're gonna say, No, it's cash, man. Get out of here And so that's when that that argument kinda comes into play. So to the
3: wrapped uh, wrapped Bitcoin thing.
2: Yes. You know, there are some people out there that don't feel comfortable using
3: decentralized exchanges, using Changely or, you know, using ShapeShift, all of those types of uh, services, but do have a need to transmit or move BTC and do it need to do it quickly. Right. Mm -hmm. So there could be a compelling case. I mean, around around that. We haven't seen it yet because it's really only a few days old for all practical purposes. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. Well... Sorry, go into Were you
0: going to. Yeah, so I think the biggest um, sort of benefit or or the possibilities that this opens up is there are, are a lot of protocols on Ethereum that um, you can't like they're built in a way where you can add any ERC 20 token. And my crypto is the same way, by the way. But decentralized exchanges are a good example. Um Compound Finance, you can't add any token, but uh, it only, like, works with tokens, uh, and they manually curate and add tokens, Um, things like that. So by having a wrapped Bitcoin, it basically enables decentralized exchanges and protocols like Compound to give you access to Bitcoin without it actually being Bitcoin and without having to, like, you know... Have some super, super fancy cross-chain stuff on the protocol level because obviously if you're on the protocol level, um, you're on the Ethereum network. Mm. And what a lot of people don't realize is um, for, I think, Maker, for Xerox and other decentralized exchanges, for Compound, when you are interacting with that with your Ether it's not actually ether; it's called wrapped ether, and it's basically a on-chain um, contract that makes ether an ERC twenty token. Uh, and you can, like, you know, you can you can put ether in and get get the wrapped ether out, and vice versa, very very easily, uh, and all on chain. But essentially, it just allows you to do whatever protocols allow you to do um, with these core currencies, and now with Bitcoin. So. You know, it's pretty exciting in that that way. Um, Obviously, it's yet to be seen what, you know, actually comes to fruition. But, um, you know, especially with something like Compound, and for those that don't know, Compound's a, you can, like, lend or supply uh, your assets and gain interest on them, uh, and then vice versa, you can, like, borrow assets. Um, For something like that, Bitcoin has, I think, a useful place because you have Ether, which is obviously like the core currency. Then you have some tokens, which are obviously at this point mostly speculative. You have DAI, which is stable and it's 100% stable. And then you have Bit may end up being sort of this like semi stable, right? It's more stable than Ether. It gives you a different sort of point of speculation. Um, I think it's useful. I think for, for those t- sorts of things, it can be really, really impressive what people will, will do with it.
3: But, but here's the problem though. We train new users and we, and, we, and we use as a mantra that if you don't own the key, you don't own the asset, right? And in wrapped Bitcoin, that representation that's wrapped, you don't actually have the key to that, right? I mean, so it's, it's kind of against the, the mantra that you know, is, is, is the first yeah. commandment, which is make sure that you control the private key.
0: Right. And that's, you know, so when you look at Ether and wrapped Ether, um, assuming that you trust the smart contract and that the smart contract is secure, which is a big if, uh, but if you do trust it with 100% certainty, um, you can very easily verify that you can put your your Ether in, get wrapped out and vice versa. Um, When it comes to Bitcoin, there's a similar process. However, uh, I think Bitgo, right, is the the custody solution for it. So similarly, you're trusting uh, the security of the smart contract, and it says it does everything it does, and then it, you know, there's no unintended bugs or anything in it. But then also you have uh, you have to trust Bitgo, you know, that they will give you back your Bitcoin when you want it, uh, etc. So it's you know you're you're adding another layer. It's, it is another layer, but, uh, at the same time, I think it's a worthwhile experiment because we'll see what, you know, possibilities it opens up. Um, and I haven't thought about it that much, but, you know, there's a lot of protocols and a lot of speculative type, um, protocols being built, whether that's, you know, the DEXs themselves, whether that's things like, um, like compound or whether that's, uh, like DYDX, which allows like margin and shorting and stuff, Mm -hmm. um. So basically, having those protocols essentially work with Bitcoin um, could be I don't know, I think that's valuable. Mm.
2: Is it just like if you could simplify, is it just like a, a certificate of Bitcoin? Like like this is it's not yeah. really Bitcoin. It's just something that represents Bitcoin so we can use Bitcoin in the other cool ways that we use Ethereum.
0: Right. And so, like, so imagine, um, like, imagine you're a DEX and you want to be like truly decentralized exchange. You can do that right now with any Ethereum token that's out there. You can trade them and you can do that trustlessly and decentralized and you can verify all the code if you wanted to and, you know, all of this stuff. But if a DEX wanted to add Bitcoin, they would basically have to build, um, like a, a a bridge right between the ether chain and the Bitcoin chain, uh, and the amount of dev work that takes, and then also the amount of uh security stuff, game theory stuff, et cetera, et cetera, is just a lot, uh which is why we haven't seen it happen in a useful way yet. Um, so yeah, it's it's sort of like a certificate it's it's a it, like wrapping is a really good word for it because you're basically you put the real Bitcoin in this thing and then in return you get this, this standard token um, and you can trade the standard token for the Bitcoin and vice versa.
3: Well, if it's going to take off, it's going to need to have an absolutely killer uh, use case. And the reason why is because the way that you just explained it to me, I'm sitting here thinking, OK, if we think about the most nightmare scenario of all time for either Ethereum or for Bitcoin, right? That would be a catastrophic blockchain failure. And in this case, you're actually trusting that not only will that not happen, but it won't happen on either one of the two, right? Like now, right. We're, now we're betting the farm on both blockchains, being up, being functional, not being a 51% attack, not having any poisoning, all of those things. And so they're going to have to have a really compelling reason for me to want t- to play with that because it goes against certain principles that blockchain's all about.
0: Right. So you'd have to trust both chains, the security of both chains, which I think most people in this ecosystem do at this point, um, but it's still like a very excellent point to bring up. But then you also have to trust on the Ethereum side, the smart contract mechanism, which in my opinion is still a big if. I'm I'm an Ethereum gal, but like literally that smart contract security is a huge thing. Um, and then... You have to trust the, the swapping or the trading or the whatever mechanism that allows you to go back and forth seamlessly, which in this case is essentially trusting Bitco, I suppose.
3: Hmm. A lot of, th- and, and the smart contracts security has been the weak link of all of the ones you just listed, right? We, we, we've seen yeah. several smart contracts that, even the ones that were audited, quote unquote audited, I'm putting fingers in the air, that that was the problem. The smart contract itself. Was the issue? So you're you're taking my nightmare scenario of having to trust two things and making it three, which is even worse, right?
0: Right, and I think that the use cases are so it's very different. If you're going to buy Bitcoin to hold it, uh, you shouldn't buy wrapped Bitcoin to hold it. Um, However, if you want to gain short-term exposure to Bitcoin in a very decentralized, well, see that's the thing. It's not even freaking decentralized anymore hmm. because you have BitGo involved. Does BitGo do like KYC though or no?
3: Well, that's a big part of the argument. That's why I kind of said on the on the, the, the decentralized exchanges, um, the KYC is, is a natural kind of occurrence once somebody gets too big, right? If you think about the decentralized exchanges, yeah. that, that's one of the bigger problems. So even if they aren't doing KYC today, which I'm not sure about that yet, They will eventually. I mean, the problems of success are eventually you have to uh, you have to start paying taxes and you have to start auditing your customers. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: So, anyways, my point was that hypothetically, you could get some short term exposure to Bitcoin without KYC or. giving see but then Bitcoin's holding it so it really like with wrapped ether it's there's a lot less trust factor so it makes a little bit more sense but with the wrapped bitcoin um there's gonna have to be a very specific use case um because otherwise why wouldn't you just trade the eth for bitcoin
2: Mm. well we had a call come in mid conversation how's it going yes um, to crypto you are muted, so we didn't hear that.
4: <laughs> I know. I was. I thought you said you were a lip reader. Hey Ray. <laughs> hey Taylor. Hey D.
2: Um. So we were talking about wrapped BTC.
4: Yeah, I heard.
2: And um, I don't know. And yes,
4: heard. it is KYC.
2: It is KYC. Uh, yeah. Big Go is. Yes. Okay.
4: Because they're the custodian.
2: Would you because use wrapped got, BTC?
4: You've got seven billion people who need who need crypto and. We're about five years away from making it easy. So custodial solutions have to be a part of the the technology have-nots until we can get the technology ready for those technology have-nots. Yeah. This is just one of a million solutions that has custody, where the better answer for most people is you should be your own custody. But until we get to that point, I mean, we're in this thought bubble here, where all of us have been in crypto for years, yeah,
2: mostly. and so
4: we're 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 talking things as if everything is easy, not easy, but everything is assumed. And you walk down the street, or you get somebody who has a nine-five job, or they're not caring about their money. They should, but we can't fight that fight. We should get yeah. them to exit fiat or at least understand uh, some of the concepts until the tools and technologies can catch up to the power that crypto gives the individual.
2: Is it, is it fair to think that like, this is something that Corey and I I think last year we started having this long conversation and that is like, it doesn't a lot of people have the misnomer and they say like crypto has eliminated trust, but really all that we think it's done is disrupted trust. And now there's new ways that you have to trust entities And now there's also an option where you don't even have to trust entities if you don't want to. You can, you know, have your crypto totally off the grid, cold storage out the ass, air gapped, whatever you want to do. I don't know. Do that crazy shit Coinbase does where they have like foil tents on mountains. I don't know. I read that article very briefly, but that's really what we've done is like disrupt trust. At least or it's been redistributed, now. right? You're moving yeah. it. You're moving it away from
3: Bank of America to some offshore shady server that is operating in Russia or something, right?
4: <laughs> because but at least you can the way, then transfer a, it out of the shady into your own. Yeah, for sure.
3: You know, maybe. And, but, and this is this is where I kind right. of go on a little bit of a rant because the KYC paradox is, if you think about it, right, a responsible person who trades in, in alts really should have more than one centralized exchange they use, right? You really should have three or four. But the problem is, is when you sign up for Binance, they want you to send some of the most personal documents in the world that anyone could use to steal your identity, right? So they could also KYC to someone else. And none of these offshore firms uh, are providing transparency about the way they're storing those documents, right? So, so the big paradox is if somebody gets into Bitcoin and then they suddenly join a bunch of these sites and they either go to a non-KYC centralized exchange like Cryptopia.co.nz, uh, which you can see what's happening to that one. It's 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 actually either exit hacked or exit scammed right now, okay. Uh, or Mercatox or one of those or you go to the big names and you have to send extremely personal documents including selfies that someone could easily grab and and, and become you mm. so who do you trust do you trust Bank of America's notarized bonded tellers or do you trust a 15 year old kid in Shenzhen that's writing Python code and has access to a million American passports
2: shit there's got to yeah. be somewhere in between.
4: The, the in between is is, <laughs> is is you you accept like a binance example, uh, you accept the two bitcoin withdrawal limit until you KYC. Yeah, right? sure. And, and- so so you have that, and so it at least gives a bridge to the people who don't want to KYC. You can still do certain things until the government comes in and figures things out, and until we can have decentralized exchanges. The yeah. decentralized exchanges are still not really there. They're definitely at the usability level of zero versus a centralized exchange, usability of 50, whereas people's normal banking is a usability of a hundred. So the decentralized exchange is where we want to go because then you use your own wallet. You do trading with your own wallet and there's no KYC unless the government is forcing other things that they might do. So, you know, it's going to be a cat and mouse game where they advance, we advance, they advance. But, that's one answer to the non-KYC.
2: Yeah. Do we need to explain KYC? Yeah, so we'll, real quick, for those of you that don't know, KYC means know your customer. And it's the difference between five years ago when you signed up for Coinbase, all you need is an email, even a hotmail for you weirdos out there. And then now when you sign up for Coinbase, you got to send them a urine sample, a throat swab, and a <laughs> and some... Some of the hairs from the back of your finger. I don't know. It's just a lot. It's a a lot longer process. And that's only. But it's
4: less than a bank account.
2: Yep. It's
4: less than a bank account, typically. And so. And and the the rationalization
2: was always anti money
3: laundering, right? In theory, they they, they wanted to prevent terrorism funds or crime mafia funds or even Silk Road type applications. Some of the Silk Road, there was a lot of Silk Road that wasn't necessarily illegal, but uh, that was the justification for. You have to know your customer. You can no longer pretend to be ignorant about the fact that there's a guy that walks into your bank every Thursday with a hundred thousand dollars in cash, and there happens to be blood on some of it. Right? You have to. You have to be a little <laughs> bit more responsible than that.
2: Yeah. Like, what's that blood about, man? I at least have to ask you now, <laughs> Taylor. Do you think? Do you foresee a situation where my crypto, whatever, have to implement any KYC?
0: I hope not. <laughs> So um, as far as I understand it, the KYC and AML, so there's, okay, so KYC is Know Your Customer. AML is Anti-Money Laundering, and they're both very closely intertwined. Um, it applies to, it's, it's a regulation, it's international, um, you know, some jurisdictions have you can get away with more than others, but for the most part, like the, the AML stuff is really, really, really international. Um, and it, um, mainly in my, what I, how I understand it, it applies to, um, if you're taking custody or if you're a money service business, meaning that you are moving or exchanging funds for people. And this is one of the reasons that, um, Shapeshift recently had to do the Shapeshift membership program and implement KYC. They got away with it for a really long time. But, you know, the more uh, sort of established this ecosystem gets and the more closely the regulators look at stuff – um it just you get to a point where uh, better safe than sorry, especially when you are an established company with employees, with teams, with a product, etc. So for us, because we never take custody um, and we never even like do anything sort of on behalf of the user, um, KYC and AML doesn't apply to us. When we talk about monetization of my crypto, though, that's where things get interesting because... Um, You know, our our goal is to monetize our product via um, taking very, very, very small fees for when you do things and not necessarily like sending a transaction, but um, doing things where you make uh, or are trying to make money. So, for example, we make money right now if you use Shapeshift via our site uh, to swap between ETH and tokens or ETH and Bitcoin. We have zero X, which is uh, a decentralized offering. Same thing. We get a small fee and obviously more features like this. We could, um, you know, we could monetize them. However, some of these uh, features or protocols don't have like a monetization or referral or an affiliate built in. So uh, then the question is, if we do implement some mechanism on our end to be able to monetize this, would that turn us into a money service business? And therefore, uh, would we have to, you know, comply with the KYC and AML laws, as well as the heaps of freaking uh, legal <laughs> requirements, whether that's uh, the licenses, uh, the, you know, like the the BIT license in New York, like those sorts of things. It really puts a damper on our basically everything. So, it's complex, hmm. and it generally sucks.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can tell. I know it sucks so much because then Voorhees got hit with it so bad. Shapeshift had to almost change their entire model. Uh, mm-hmm. That was a while ago, but but still. Uh, well, and
4: if 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 my crypto servers are in the U.S. and even though you're you're completely compliant with the law, that's not to say they a new law won't come out that says, oh well. Hey, if you're, um, it's not, it's no longer even if you're a custodial service of ERC-20 tokens, or if you're assisting in a transfer. Like, I mean, what if atomic swaps got easy, and you could all of a sudden do that? What if um, they say, oh, well, I can add, you know, this ERC-ERC-20 to- token and this address and 18 decimals on it, and the the powers that be see that as, oh, that's a different crypto. It's not an ERC-20 power token. You know, they don't understand the technology. They say, oh, well, all of a sudden you got an airdrop. You are <laughs> participating in financial services. You need a financial services license. And, you know, mm-hmm. if your servers are in the U.S., they, you know, could see it because they want power. They keep power. And crypto is a threat. I think we all agree on that. And the the new person coming in is, you know, they're still spread with the FUD of this is terrorists and uh, bad guy money. And yeah, they say, well, how
2: we can't shake that.
4: Right. And, and then if on top of that, the trades, the stock trades go from T3 to T2 to T1, you know, so you can do your stocks faster now because they're, they're catching up. You can use, what is it? Zelle and, you know, the banking systems peer to peer money and, you know, we're losing some ground there because they're like, Okay, well, we know the public just wants it easy, fast, and cheap. So uh and so the banks are like, Are you sure you wanna be um risky and use that big-turn <laughs> stuff? <laughs> I can see them doing that.
2: Yeah.
0: That was- yeah, and I mean that's it's always been a risk factor for us, right? Like the the government could like, you know, post a freaking tweet of a stupid statement on some stupid letterhead at some point and be like, hey, uh, if you have literally any sort of interface at all that ever interacts with cryptocurrencies, you need to register as a money service business. Um, They could do that. And it would shut down a lot, pretty much everyone. Um, You know, we're hopeful that that won't happen and that the regulatory, you know, the regulators and... uh, in the u.s but also internationally you know take a little bit of time to understand how this stuff works and balance because you know i interact with people all day every day i understand you know sort of where the regulators are come from because consumers need protecting Mm -hmm. (laughs) turns out Um, and obviously when you throw words like terrorism around it's, you know, it's a net positive for the world in that regard. However, uh, if you like shut down everyone and you prevent any sort of progress being made,, um, you know, in the name of of preventing terrorism, it's no longer a net positive. So so far, the regulators have been, I think, relatively, you know, aware and, and they haven't been too, too uh, detrimental to the space, but you know, we'll see. And, and obviously right now they're all focused on the heaps of fraudulent ICOs. So we got yeah. some time at least.
3: <laughs> well, from the security world, I will tell you that history is right with examples of services that promised anonymity or privacy uh, until they didn't one day, right? If you think about Hushmail, Hushmail uh, basically completely folded to the U.S. government. LavaBit was a supposedly 100% encrypted um, email transit that ended up, actually, they ended up closing their doors because they didn't want to give the uh, FBI the keys, right? The bottom line is, is if you're an American citizen and someone shows up at your door with a bunch of machine guns and FBI jackets on, you're probably not going to say no, right? So that's the whole reason why you don't want Uh, a centralized store where you could be vulnerable to both bad actors and and well-meaning and well-meaning good actors that also you know have a reason to do that that's the the entire point of decentralization right taylor
0: yeah exactly and so one of the things that we've always done with our product is um try to make it as like if i if we were to disappear the product would still exist it wouldn't necessarily Uh, continue to improve, but it would still exist. So you can run it from like the GitHub URL, for example. Uh, all of our code is open source. There's build instructions. Uh, the code base, like the current code base has been forked 300 times, which means, um, you know, via the GitHub feature heaps more people have done it unofficially by copying and pasting or, or saving it locally. And then um, the way that you actually interact directly with the blockchain is via nodes. And these nodes uh, are always, you know, provided by multiple providers. So we have our infrastructure. We also, you can connect to Infura, you can connect to EtherScan, scan. Um, you can add a custom node. So if you're running your own Geth on your own computer, you can connect to that. Um, and so hypothetically, if, my crypto as a company were to literally go poof one day, what I would hope would happen is um, someone else trustworthy from the community would uh, sort of take over the the sort of the GitHub repo or create a new GitHub repo with the code. Um, and, you know, obviously new node providers could be spun up. People can add them as a custom node, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it reduces the... It reduces a lot of the, you know, potential downfall if if something does go poof on one end. But
4: so I can am- I? Can I fork my crypto and make a my crypto cash, make it bigger? <laughs>
0: you can do whatever you want.
4: <laughs> well, so here's the problem
3: with that. By the way, here's the problem with that. Um, if it can be forked, I mean, we saw with Electrum uh, mm-hmm. just a, a month ago, right? If it can be forked, then a bunch of knockoffs could. Could potentially oh, have yeah. buried deep in their code, right? With with Electrum, that you were using an older repository um, that was basically backdoored because it wasn't wasn't trusted, right? Um, mm-hmm. But what you were saying just a second ago about Trezor versus um, versus Nano Ledger, that's the biggest uh, selling point for Trezor, right? Because with Nano Ledger, was to get a, a French order to backdoor some kind of thing in their software, we would never know. But mm-hmm. when it's open source, in in theory, you know, you get so many pairs of eyes and so much sunlight on it. That it would be very very difficult, not impossible, because we know about Linux and the elliptical curve random number generator that was uh, a little fishy 20 years ago. But but it's certainly harder to backdoor or to be compelled to backdoor
2: open source software. We right. don't know about right. that, but it's amazing that you can call shit <laughs> like that, like oh, oh, with the snap of a finger. What was
0: right? that? Yeah. <laughs> so
2: what the what the elliptical
3: curve that. random number generator right. was before Snowden? Before What's Snowden, that? Snowden that happened. Uh, there were cryptographers that said that the way random numbers were being generated using the ECPRNG was suspect, right? So Bruce, Bruce Shiner was a real famous person who said, This doesn't look right to me. Who wrote this? And it was actually written by the NSA. The NSA had stepped in and said, We'll help you guys develop this cryptography. And here's how here's all the tools you need for it, right? And then in 2013 or so, uh, we found out from some documents. Uh, that were part of the Snowden dumps that indeed they had an entire group of people that were working on things like that um, for ongoing projects too.
0: Mm. And this, I mean, this story is mind boggling. So to be clear, they, and correct me if I'm wrong, they didn't like go in and write the code. They actually sort of controlled the specification that was being written for So basically, computers and randomness is a huge thing. And if things aren't truly, truly random and heaps of fancy math, um, then they can be brute forced. And that's why in crypto land, a brain wallet is never going to be as secure as a truly randomly generated wallet. So the NSA essentially wrote this specification where, hypothetically, everyone in the world thinks that it's random and it's the next greatest thing and it increases the randomness and et cetera, et cetera. But the super geniuses at the NSA have a way to brute force these things. And then all of the systems, it wasn't just Linux, right? Like Microsoft also implemented it. I think everyone implemented it. And then it was very quickly shifted over.
3: Yeah. So it was the de facto standard. And we're talking about dual EC, by the way, dual elliptical curve, but The dual CC uh, random number generator was the de facto standard from 2006 ish until it was withdrawn in 2014. So you can't build products on it today. But there were a lot of products that were using it or were built on it, you know, at the time. But my my point is, is if you think in terms of what could be something you would trust, right? So if I go to Fry's Electronics or Best Buy and I'm going to build myself a computer, I'm going to buy a motherboard, right? I'm going to buy some RAM and a hard drive and I'm going to put an operating system on there. Well, in the last year or so, we've seen that you can't trust that motherboard (laughs) because there's a lot of chips on there that could have other things in them, right? You probably can't trust that RAM because it would be very, very easy to put in uh, some kind of a component for that. Uh, You certainly can't trust the hard drive because there have been uh, advanced persistent threats that would survive reboots and wipes of hard drives using basically BIOS functionality, right? It's very, very difficult to describe a trusted computing platform that you could absolutely trust everything from end to end. I mean, maybe an abacus, but even then you have to wonder if you're getting dementia when you're using it. Right. So
4: <laughs>
2: how do we trust, how do we trust anything? What's up? what did you say, Wayne? Good
4: luck hashing a key with it. Yeah. I, th- I think the conversation, I mean, you, you mentioned the, the random number generator seeding being compromised and that's bad for crypto. We know Meltdown inspector happened in the computer industry. So I think the higher level, because this isn't hashing it out, I'm sure Corey would be like, hey, wait, you didn't talk about this. The the higher level thing is, it as you said, Ray, it is a trust transfer, but a new person coming into this conversation might say, so really, should I be trusting the government or should I be trusting my fellow man More and more, we're still seeing that fellow man isn't necessarily trustworthy because the government's made up of them anyway, and we're getting scammed and we're having exchanges go down. So it's the protocol that needs to be trusted, not the person. So as long as the protocol amplifies your own greed, your own self-interest, and math, which is what crypto is all about, we can have a better conversation about how the whole society can change for Mm -hmm. peer-to-peer uh, discourse. I think
3: well, that's what We've seen coming. three things this week that show how problematic that can be, right? If we think about the Apple FaceTime bug, right, in theory, there were people mumbling to themselves in the streets that, that people could force open an iPhone and listen to you, right? There was always paranoid things about, could they turn on my phone remotely? Well, the FaceTime bug that we saw this week proves that that capability, whether it's intentional or accidental, is absolutely there. You can, you can basically force off hook Probably the camera as well as the microphone, and we don't have a whole lot. And of course, I think with Apple, it was probably uh, non-intentional. Okay, because if it was intentional, we wouldn't even know about it Uh, until you
4: see their their recent hires, and they're from the NSA. That's not validated. That's non-confirmation news. Well, so
3: but the problem with the FaceTime bug was it did show a record that it had been used. Right, you could still look in your calls, and so I would I would think that a a sophisticated tool would
2: not want to show a record that it had been used. (laughs) I do think that what Wayne means is like even if you know the protocol's jacked, it's easier to have a conversation about a jacked protocol than a jacked person or a jacked organization or, a system, right? yeah. or a system, yeah, or system, jacked system.
4: Because KYC is is amplifying the jacked system. It is an AML, but we do need it because there's baddies out there. Yep. I mean, I mean, we we that's how it came about, right? So the whole credit investor. There's so many people in the crypto industry are so quick to say oh look it's the richies and it's all these accredited investors and they're they're really just lining their own pockets well it originally it came about because stupid people were making stupid bets and losing their house and losing their shirt and they were investing in penny stocks and there was a reason for it there's always a reason
1: mm-hmm.
4: but it got corrupted again by man and what i think the conversation really drifts to is if we were to be able to do this. No, not right now. I'm sorry. Uh, sorry, guys. Um, yes. If we were able to, that's like that news guy with the baby that comes that's in. That's why it. I love pie. Uh,
2: um,
4: <laughs> if, if we were able to get more people to understand the, the concept of that, what's in your best interest conversation, that's what amplifies. Crypto is just just came out of the fact that we don't have trust. It just happens to be money. It happens to be crypto. It happened to come at a time where it was right on top of the financial collapse. And I think, you know, 20, 30, 50 years from now, it's going to fundamentally change how we interact person to person.
2: I do. I think we're way, I think it's shocking how ahead of the curve, anyone who's enthusiastic about crypto and is sticking around, uh, for more reasons than just it being a great investment, it's gonna be so long before some of the things that we think are everyday things to do, like interacting with exchanges or sending money to an address, it's just so far outside of people's purview. Um, um, which is kind of cool, puts us in a unique position to to be in the know in the in the event that it does, you know, get mass adoption and get that mat- critical critical momentum with the public I don't know well we this has been a kind of like a doomy and gloomy episode we started out talking about death Wayne you missed that I uh, did <laughs> then we I will we were survive. talking about like secession planning you know if you if you kick the bucket who gets your crypto how do they even know uh, what to do with it what's that was <laughs> Andreas's
4: public uh he published about that today
2: yeah and it's becoming on his YouTube channel. I think it's going to become a a bigger conversation in the next couple of years as people realize like, oh, I have something that has value and I need to make sure that, you know, my kids get it if something happens. So, well, gee, um, and so people are going to judge that and say, well, why wouldn't I go custody?
4: Because they hear like as like Andreas Antonopoulos said in his most recent one of his most recent ones. He's answering the trace mayor recommendation of, hey, you need to get, you know, uh four different things to be able to really be good, including a, a highly secure bulletproof laptop. You have to be your own node. You have to do key management. Uh, I mean, you have to have all this stuff and that's going to turn off everything but a minuscule amount of people. Mm-hmm. And the shows about adoption. Yep. So so we need adoption.
3: Well, if you want to finish on a positive note or get there, let's talk about hash
2: rate next, uh, D. Uh yeah, what's up? What's up, Taylor?
0: How? I mean, I guess it could be positive. I have never had a hash rate conversation <laughs> be be positive. But let me let me see how you spin this. How right, fast can you
2: smoke? What I can do here. No, I'm saying it's there's there's not much to hash rate. If, if uh, hash rates just you know how many hashes are pumping every second by the Bitcoin network. I'm talking about the Bitcoin network because I mean I still talk in terms as Bitcoin being the driver of most things because I haven't had any clear evidence that it's not. And until somebody gives it to me, besides crypto Twitter, um, I'm gonna keep keep saying that. So the 53.3 a hash um, was the height of the bitcoin network which is uh what is that 53 billion giga hashes i wish i should, would have done this mental math outside of the show but whatever and then it dropped to a local low of 36.5 x hashes, which is a pretty big drop but it's recently gone back up to 41.6 uh as of january 28th um so I use the hash rate as like a personal indicator of is this shit that I've subscribed to with so much of my personal life <laughs> dead or not? Because you see about 20 Bitcoin is dead. Crypto is dead. And we even have our favorite host, number one, Cello, of our podcast. He reminds us on a weekly basis that Bitcoin <laughs> is dead. I don't know why he does that. Um, maybe he could defend himself next week. But And he's soured on all the alts. He's just so salty. That's what I'm going to start you, saying. You salty. He's, just, he's just salty or all-time worth But you need, you need salty. You,
4: you need do. salty. It's a flavor that's great. That's true. So, D, you're ready to publicly call
3: the bottom then, right? You're you you're ready to do that tonight? Oof. We're, bounce, we we're bouncing off the
4: 200 like. EMA, so it makes sense.
2: There's a, Here's the thing, is that we haven't speculated this episode. We usually do a little prognosticating on each episode. But I am willing to say that we're going to be going sideways and this is a, this is the I need to hit a button price 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 we're going to talk about price on the Bitcoin podcast i think the price of bitcoin is going to go sideways between a, a tunnel on the lower end of 2700 and 3300 for like 2019 pretty much the whole year and then we'll we'll see an uptick going into 2020 that's that's
4: and it. And would you? Okay, I'll take that bet.
3: So why don't, don't, don't you know. loan him a Bitcoin and then he can pay you back at the future rate
2: in six months? How about that? Okay.
4: <laughs> no, no. we have to I use make smart sure contract. I wrap it. Maybe that wrap matters. BTC would work for
2: this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll wrap some BTC. Since BTC doesn't have the smart contract, throw it at, doesn't ooh. have the vulnerabilities. What if? Could you wrap BTC and then throw it on Compound? Is that a thing? Compound. It, it,
0: yeah it's not on compound yet they're they have a vote right now to get it on there though oh my
4: goodness. okay what's compound i don't know what that is uh, oh so well, compound
0: it's an ethereum protocol it's a it's a smart contract system built on the ethereum network and it allows you to supply or lend uh some of your assets uh and gain interest on them and then you can also borrow um assets On the other side, for a small fee, and it's all decentralized and fancy and stuff.
2: (laughs) Taylor, are you going
3: to subscribe to the uh, to to the the D model of uh, of of future pricing?
2: Is anybody else going to take a bet here? We're going to do some speculation.
0: I'm still speculation. So you said earlier that someone said this is the longest bear market. I have no. No math to back this up whatsoever, that's but I literally that's
4: because we went over the 411 <laughs> days that that's where they're getting that from. Yeah. So, right, but so 410 400... was the previous record from the, from the low of the cycle to the low of the cycle. That's that's uh, that's okay. where the metric comes from. So, yeah. when you take that low of the evidence cycles mm-hmm. and you measure how many days it was, they range 167 days, 200 days. The most recent one was 410, I think. I'm mm-hmm. going from memory here, and we just hit four hundred eleven. That's why we we you know we throw a party. We're in the biggest bear ever. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I'm just looking at coin market caps chart. That's all I'm doing, and I'm just saying the last bubble, which is now a little tiny blip, it's pretty epic to look at actually. You know, it was a bubble, and then it was sideways for a long ass time before it really started picking up steam. And if you look at the bubble right now that we just got out of, we have not been going sideways for nearly enough time. So, I mean, maybe this is bottom. Maybe it won't go lower than this, but I don't think we're so going to go see another, you know, a thousand X gain for another year or two.
4: Look at the log chart. And then and then okay. generally what happens is the cycles become very oh. much more evident. Oh, yeah. See, I heard you. I can't <laughs> see your screen. But I saw the aha <laughs> uh-huh on your face. That That's, so,
0: what's the difference between linear and log in terms so, of like, you know, analyzing the market?
4: So, so logarithmic takes out the the natural market growth. So, it, you know, it, it's using logarithmics, which means you're using exponents, and it's it's amplifying it more. But you you take out the the junk of what normally happens in the market and price fluctuations and stuff like that, and you see a more um uh, evened out growth without all the major spikes and so the spikes are taken out and it's like if you if you take anything in nature and look at a log scale versus a linear scale it's like it's like you're Geordi from Star Trek and all of a sudden you have a new visor and you see something no one else yeah. or you didn't see before yeah, and wait, go ahead yeah so what you see there is a is a four-year cycle then a four-year cycle and you see these little um uh you know, many uh, sine waves in between. And those are the ones where when you look at a sine wave, you get trough to trough and you see that cycle, you can measure that scientifically. And we are now in the the longest trough to trough. Um, and mm-hmm. th- that's how that works.
0: So my next question is, are these, sort of natural macroeconomic market cycles, are they like, do they have a tendency to, to speed up or shorten or uh, like, cause you, <laughs> you mentioned the four year. Well,
3: so that's the million dollar question, that's right? History question. doesn't repeat itself, <laughs> but it's, it often rhymes. Right? right. And we saw some things we've never, ever seen last year or year before last year. And so when you see things you've never seen before, It's certainly not a regular pattern that you can set your clock to. If it was, we wouldn't be on this podcast. We would all be, you know, doing TA right now. (laughs) But I have a totally different way and I I love that explanation Wayne. but I have a totally different way of looking at it. And just again, by way of explanation, I'm a, I'm a hacker and I'm an infosec professional. I'm not a, I'm not a TA expert by any stretch of the imagination. But when I think about what happened 15 months ago, what I remember more than anything else was that we had a huge influx of what I call NGM, okay? And this is not something you can Google because I just made it up tonight. Um, That is non-geek money, right? I had random people talking about crypto at McDonald's, right? You, You would walk to the airport and see people discussing Bitcoin, right? And you would go to work and people would be asking you about it. When we have this massive movement of not noob money, but when your aunt is asking you about it, there's a, that money has to go somewhere. Right. And what happened the last time was it flooded in uh, inflated Bitcoin flooded in and out of some alts, you know, a couple, two or three alts. Right. Then the ICOs basically exploded so that it was super duper fragmented. And then a lot of it exited back out. Right. A lot of it back went back to safety places and stuff. So I tend to think of things that what will cause the next huge influx of people between 18 and 35, putting their money in crypto instead of putting it into stocks or instead of just saving it for 401k crypto kitties.
4: (laughs) It's it, it needs to be. And I, and Corey has, and and D and Cello have all said this several times. It comes when it, you know, just like a light switch is on the wall. Nobody knows. I shouldn't say nobody. People don't know what goes on when you click the light switch. It just works. People don't know how the credit card works. It just works. When crypto works and it just works, that's when, like CryptoKitties, it was just, hey, there's a reason for someone to come in. Not just the FOMO, not just the, oh, I want to get rich. It's, there's an app that is not possible anywhere else. That, and, it, and it can only be done through crypto. Those are the things that bring the NGMs, you know. Um, and you forgot to mention Tether, uh, which I love Tether, but it also inflated the market.
2: Yep. Or GPPs are what we call them. Right. Yeah. General purpose persons. General purpose people. <laughs> that was so messed up, but I like it. It suck. Um, yeah, I, th- I think we can begin. We can wind it down. I mean, we we send, I love this show now because it's turned into like kind of like a, I guess you call it a fireside chat. I don't know. I hate genres. We just get on. We we, we talk and we've run the gamut here. We talked about like death and succession planning. Then got a little bit into like. Market analysis, the difference between logarithm and linear for a lot of people don't understand that need to, it's just I just call it a smoothing agent that helps smooth variation. Um, you know mathematically literally, uh, the logarithm is the inverse of the exponential. So when you put that on the same graph, you're going to get a line that intersects both of them. It just it's a linear it adds linearity to exponential changes, uh, which is easier for humans to digest. Uh, So if you're not looking at crypto on the logarithmic chart, you're doing it wrong. Go ahead and pop open the logarithmic chart; it's easier. Um, Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. We were gonna have a. You're gonna turn in the the WTBP. The WTBP. The Wrap The Bitcoin podcast. podcast. (laughs) Maybe we should like have a little. um, Some other shows inside your show. Yeah, we should have somebody from Bitco on the show and call it the Wrapped Bitcoin Podcast Show. That one episode. There you go. I don't know. Um, but you we were, were going to have a to runny. Plug the
3: book. You don't forget to plug the book.
2: Oh yeah, I'm so bad at trying to get money for people. We have a book called uh, "Describe." Uh, can you describe Bitcoin, Ethereum, or blockchain in ten words or less? Um And it's just like it is. Usually, when we have a, a guest on and we interview a guest, we'll ask them if they can describe one of those three things in ten words or less. And we've taken all the responses and we put it into a book. And you can get it on Amazon. Uh, we do have a button on the site now, I believe. You can click on the button, which takes you to Amazon <laughs> and you can buy it from there. Um, if we did video, Wayne would be showing you. It's a nifty book. Uh, it's a good read. You know, you get everyone from, uh, you know, we interview lots of different people. You'll get, uh, like adult film professionals all the way to billionaires describing what they think Bitcoin is. Um, Or Ethereum or blockchain is a great book. Please go check it out. Um, Fast read. It's a we call it a coffee table. It's a coffee table book. Put it on your coffee table and like invite guests over for the Super Bowl or something. And they're like, Oh, what's this? What's this here? I've heard about Bitcoin. And then you tell them all about our show because you love it. Um, (laughs) And um, I think that's that's all we really have to plug. Plug
3: the slack and plug your Twitter handle,
2: Taylor. You got anything you want?
0: (laughs) You wanna get out there in really the um, ether? Isn't ether, yeah. Uh at my crypto on Twitter. Tell me something interesting. Even crypto Twitter is getting a little bit dull. Spice it up for me. Um and I'm officially officially in the Bitcoin podcast slack. So you can also hit me up there. Yep. Uh, that's yeah, and you can get to the Bitcoin Podcast Slack by going to the Bitcoin Podcast website, and then you can do a Command F or Control F and type in Slack. <laughs> and it'll highlight that shit for you. I did it while I was on the podcast. You can do it right now, too.
2: That is very true. She joined the Slack mid podcast. Um, yep, Control F that's an easy way to do it. Control F, Slack, <laughs> boom, it'll take you straight to it. Um, our Twitter handle is at the BTC podcast. Our Instagram handle is at the BTC podcast. Um, yeah, we don't like, we're not fancy people. So our Instagram is, is kind of dull. I don't know. Instagram really makes you feel bad about yourself sometimes. It's like, Oh, look at these people's lives. They're always on the beach somehow. And then I look at my Instagram and it's like pictures of just my face. And I'm like, okay, anyways, don't let that fire is, festival pictures the like make real. you upset, okay? <laughs> Say what, Ray? Don't let the fire festival pictures make you uh,
3: have FOMO, okay?
2: Yeah, the fire festival just made me feel like I'm just not an exciting human, but oh well. Um, I, that's it. When you got anything you want to plug, Ray? You got anything?
3: I, I actually do. So uh, I'm RayRedacted.com. If you want to follow me on Twitter, uh, scamthatscammer.com. If you want to watch me scamming a Bitcoin scammer uh, via Twitter. Um, But I I also want to tell you something uh, very, very, very late in the game today. I actually came across a fantastic book uh, last week uh, called Tribe of Hackers by this guy Marcus Carey. Okay. And it's basically a description of a whole bunch of hackers. Well, he made it free last night. So uh, if you're interested in information security, uh, you can go to free.rayredacted.com and basically put your email address in there and get a PDF of it. It is a fantastic book. I've got a hard copy. If you decide you do want a hard copy, uh, all of the proceeds go to charity. So that's uh, free.rayredacted.com.
2: Nice. Wayne, you've got the floor for any plugs.
4: Uh, I go by yes to crypto, and I just it's because it's about adoption. Say yes to crypto.
2: Awesome. Um, Wayne was the only caller today. Uh, but we didn't do a great job of advertising when exactly we were going to be having the lines <laughs> open, so that's that's our fault. Um, we'll we'll try to be better about this. Um, it's been a, it's been a kind of tumultuous week for the three of us. Uh, so shout out to Cello, shout out to Corey, um, shout out to Carla Lewis. Um, play the outro.